0: Well, okay, let's look at how the devil works a little more specifically. We've already talked about some of this. Not everything is demonization. Um, one of the things uh, that we talk a little bit about, and we're going to unpack a little bit longer, you know, there are several, uh, when we when we look at, uh, where is it here? I don't know, whatever. When we look at... Uh, What's involved in, some, in, in situations? Luke chapter 8 has the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower says that there's uh, several forces involved. Uh, one of them is the devil. One of them is the world. That's our outer pressures. And one of them is our flesh. That's our inner pressures. It's not, whatever your problems are, it's not just this guy. It's not just the devil. Whatever your problems are, it's not just everybody else. You're not just a little victim. You know who is it. If, if everybody else was out of the way, um, things would be well. Um, and it's not just you. A lot of people look at themselves and say, it's me. If I was just out of the picture, everybody would be happy. Well, it's not. This is an either-or. Beware of just looking at this as an either-or. It's not. It's a both-and. there's both this force and this force and this force will work in your life. So, um, Not everything's demonization. Sometimes it's just deception. You need to learn how to stand against it and that's why you need to know your Bible. Uh, and the enemy knows what buttons to push. Don't let him do it. Everyone here has weaknesses. Everyone here has baggage. And the enemy knows your baggage. He's a constant psychologist and he knows how to push your buttons. So don't let him do it. Uh, my, one of my buttons is computers. So, (laughs) my computer goes wrong on me, I'm in the midst of putting together my manual and all of a sudden it goes blip and it's all gone. That ticks me off. You know, instead of going, dear Jesus, help me and phone and pack, I start uh, punching out my computer. Um, It's always sort of interesting, when the pastor's preaching on Sunday morning, if you realize that the bandage on his hand came from punching out the computer screen, you'd (laughs) maybe view him a little bit differently, but I actually did, I was writing a computer I was writing a sermon one Sunday and the computer went blip and I ended up with what's called a boxer's break in this bone from punching a computer screen. <laughs> and after I punched a computer screen and my hand is sort of numb and tingling and I'm looking at my knuckles sitting back down here and I'm thinking, oh, I better pull that back out. So I'm, oh, there it came back out. <laughs> All right. And I go to the doctor. He says, this is a boxer's break. Have you been fighting? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hit my computer. Oh, yeah, a lot of guys do that. <laughs> whatever. Just a pre, normal pre-sermon, you know, whatever, right? So, understanding how the devil's work, we've talked a little bit about his schemes. Uh, we we looked at the Ephesians 6 passage. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2 says another has another passage. It says, uh, The one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything... I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So that no advantage would be taken of us. If you have forgiveness issues, if you have unforgiveness, this is an area that the devil will work in your life. A lot of people have demonic issues in their life because they refuse to forgive. And not just refuse to forgive others, but refuse to forgive themselves. Or be forgiven. Um, Don't let those things go on, he says. um, So that no advantage of you would be taken by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. The devil, part of his schemes, are to keep us in that place of unforgiveness. So forgive. Um, Okay. There's a course of action down there. I'm going to let you look at that. He uses lies over on the next page. Uh, Another way that he works, he uses lies. Um, John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Somebody who's demonized. Uh, and Jesus is speaking to someone like that right now. You are of your father the devil. That's where you get your uh, motive power from. That's where you get your program from. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. speaks from his own nature. For he's a liar and the father lies. So that's the John passage uh, that speaks about that again. He uses confusion tactics. Um... Uh, 1 Corinthians says this, God does not use confusion in our lives. So if you struggle with confusion, there could be demonic issues in your life. If you run into somebody who's badly confused, there could be demonic issues. A lot of times in our day and age, we just look at that kind of stuff and we say, oh, well, that's just mental illness. No, not necessarily. Oftentimes it's confusion. And I have prayed with people that have this kind of confusion and I've seen God remove it immediately for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Well, let's unpack this a little bit, because one one of the big issues is the fear of making the wrong choice. A lot of people that struggle with confusion live in the fear that they will make the wrong choice. And so they have a whole bunch of choices in front of them and they end up paralyzed, because they can't make a choice. Fear of making the wrong choice is essentially a lack of trust. You need to just learn how to trust that God will protect your choices, um, it's a confusion tactic. So what do you do? You commit your choice to the Lord and let him lead you through it. Psalm 37, 4-6 to 6 says it, Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgments as the noonday. Now sometimes we say, yeah, but what's going to happen? You know what? God oftentimes doesn't tell us exactly what's going to happen. He just says, commit your way to me. Follow me step by step. But the devil plays on the fear, and he uh, increases the inability to trust God through that fear. So you've got to begin to trust that God will protect you, even if you make mistakes. You know, read the story of Abraham. Who here is scared if you make the mistake that God will remove his blessing? And there is teaching out there to that effect. If I make a mistake, God will remove his blessing. You know, had somebody come to me just recently, a brand new divorce. What do I do now? Well, Jesus always came to people and he said, you know what, everything that's done to this point is done. So if that's your sin, give it to me. Because you can't change what's done. Now all you can do is from this point on, give Jesus the past and walk forward as he leads you. And he may lead you back to deal with some of this stuff, or he may just lead you forward. Or the people that you ticked off back here might not have have anything to do with you. And so you might not be able to re-engage them and you might end up just being led forward. But you give God what is, what is behind you and you just move forward. You learn how to trust that he will take care of your mistakes. Abraham made all kinds of mistakes. You know, Abraham's supposed to be trusting God. What does he do? He goes into this one area and his wife is gorgeous and he says, don't tell anyone you're my wife. Lie. Say you're my sister. Well, the king comes and says... She's beautiful, takes her, and what happens? God has to compensate for Abraham's mistake. and, And he doesn't learn quick either. So he does it again. And God does it again. Me, if I was God, I would just say, you know what, let's go make another one. But he doesn't. God doesn't give up on his people that way. So, you know, as you watch Abraham's mistakes over and over and over again, God gives him a promise. You're going to be the father of many nations. Well, years go by and the promise doesn't happen and there's no kid. So he decides to take his uh, his, uh, servant woman, Hagar, and sleeps with her. And God comes to him and says, what are you doing? This isn't what I said. And we're still doing it the way I said it's going to happen. So, now being as you've done this, and I find this fascinating. He says, being as Ishmael, even though I didn't plan on Ishmael, you did this, and Ishmael is your son, he's getting a blessing too. You know, a lot of times we think, well, God, hold well, it, God made this you know, God is not, not that way. You know, we make a mistake and God does not bless the mistake. Well, here's Abraham, he's a son of the promise. Mm-hmm. He makes a mistake. It's a stupid mistake. He took things in his own hands. God comes along and says, I love you. And I'm faithful, even though you are not so bright sometimes. And this kid is not paying for your mistake. He's getting a blessing too. That said, we're still doing my way. And he sets him back on course. Isaac is born, and so we move into history. Right? So, you got to, this is so good, you know, to understand. Because when you're dealing with the demonic, the devil will accuse you. Oh, I made a mistake. Yeah, you know what, I did make a mistake. But so what? mistake I give to Jesus I don't have to be perfect in my performance, I just need to be surrendered and we trust the mercy of God and guess what, God has more mercy than all of us put together in this room combined God has more mercy than anyone we could dream of could have and God will use that mercy in working with us so course of action, what if you make mistakes what if you're confused repent of unbelief uh, cast yourself from God's mercy, give him the confusion Get Christian counsel, even if it's only someone you use as a sounding board. You know, don't be alone. For crying out loud, you know, when the devil gets you alone, he feeds you all kinds of garbage. He works on making you more confused than ever. Get some Christian counsel. And I don't necessarily mean a Christian counsel. I mean get some solid Christian friends, someone who you know uh, is in, in uh, walks with God, and bang stuff off with you, use them as a sounding board sometimes they'll look at you and say, okay, have you listened to yourself? What? Well, let me parrot it back to you. You just said this. Yeah, that does sound stupid, it? Well, okay then. You know, we'll give that to Jesus. So, get that. Set a timeline for a decision and do it. See, a lot of us, you know, here we are. We're heading this way. There's a decision. In order to move ahead, there's a decision right now. And we're hitting this point and bouncing. set a decision time. What I did, I'm feeling the call to go to India overseas. And I said to the Lord, we're, we're setting up for TCU place a couple of years ago. And uh, I said, Lord, you want me to go overseas? My wife thinks that I'm supposed to go overseas. I don't have a huge, huge desire to go there, but it won't leave me. It's keep keeps hitting me in the head. I'm supposed to go overseas. So I said, okay, Lord. As a TCU place, we're making a decision and I will do whatever you call me to do. Suddenly I get this phone call from a guy I in India. Gotta to come to India, preach. I said, okay, sign me up. Then I got another phone call from a pastor I hadn't heard in years. You need to come on a team with me to Africa to preach. Sign me up. What the heck am I doing? I just committed <laughs> myself to $25,000 worth of overseas ministry. So I did. But I had to set decision time. So set it, do it, God will take care of you. Well, the devil, in his use of confusion tactics, he can and he will use stressful situations. He'll, he'll throw a constant stream of st- stressful stuff at you. Um, the demonic scheme here is designed to keep you in reaction mode rather than proaction. mode. The good news, the finished work of Christ... Uh, when we talk about the finished work of Christ, we trust the reality uh, of that in all forms of spiritual warfare. Jesus said it is finished, and He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. That's John 19:30. So Satan will always seek to convince you that it's not finished, that Jesus has not finished it all, that there's still more to do. You know, and and really, what he will say to you is, "Okay, yeah, I know Jesus did what He did on the cross, but what about you?" And he will say, you have to pray more, you have to read your Bible more, you have to do more, you have to get prayed up better, whatever else. You've got all this stuff to do before you can deal with the demonic stuff that seem, that, that's touching your life. That's not true. What you need to be is just simply more surrender to Jesus. Oftentimes when I've had to deal with demonic things, I've been struggling in my own life. Now, I've watched God, uh, you know, as he has walked me through some of this stuff. There will be, uh, be times where God takes care of me, because I'll be down here in a valley dealing with some hard stuff uh, and God will just shut off all of my access to this kind of ministry. Nobody will come to me. I won't have any opportunities to deal with this stuff because I'm in a place where God's dealing with some hard stuff and he gives me space to do that. Then as I come back out of that, you know, suddenly there's all kinds of ministry opportunities. And I'm, down here I was so focused on what I was dealing with, I, God knew I needed that time and he gave me that time. God doesn't leave you on this walk by yourself. So then you come back up and you're you're dealing with stuff, you know, more on a day-to-day level. You've learned what you've learned and God gives you all kinds of ministry opportunities here. Event after event after event after event. Uh, Now that's not to say that God sometimes doesn't give you a vacation either. (laughs) Because sometimes you come up here and you're up having a great old time and there's no opportunity for ministry. And what God's doing is giving you a vacation. We all need consolidation time. You know what I mean? Some downtime. So there's also, there can be a fourth fourth element. You can be down here dealing with hard stuff, and God says, guess what? I want to teach you now that it doesn't depend on you being on the top of a mountain to get stuff done. We're going to deal with stuff down here. And just when you are struggling with your own sin, God brings you all kinds of ministry opportunities, and you learn what it means to minister freedom from a place of weakness and trust in him. So, you get what I'm saying? You know, it's, uh, God will lead us in all of this kind of stuff. We trust his finished work. It doesn't depend on our performance. I mean, when I'm up here on the top of the mountain, I feel like I'm performing great. When I'm down here in the bottom of the trough, I don't feel like I'm performing great. God can use us in both places. It doesn't depend on our performance. It depends on trusting his work. Oh, well, I fell yesterday, but I don't care. Jesus still is crucified and risen. Lord, Lord, I'm in your hands. And you will sometimes just simply give him what you got to give, even though you don't think it's that much. But you do that because of his finished work. The basic lie uh, that that Satan gives us is that Jesus' work on the cross didn't quite cut it and that you have to top it up or finish it by performing correctly. Um, The Holy Spirit will always call you to stand in the finished work of Jesus. And there's some scriptures there for you. John 15, 4, John 3, 17, Ephesians 6, Romans 8, 1. We have an identity in Christ. We live with an incarnational theology. You know, Satan can see Christ in us. The reason Satan, the demonic things manifested in Jesus' presence is because they collided with the spirit of God that was working through him. Um, the enemy knows who, who lives in you. The question is, do you know? Um, so, uh, anyway, we as ministers of deliverance become disciples of Jesus. We follow him. And so Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so we have this picture. You know, often like to say, we are not called to go out and live for Jesus. Who here was taught you're supposed to go live for Jesus? Nope, you're not. In this sense... You're not supposed to go visit Jesus and then go out and live for him. Like, here's Jesus over here. The lady goes and visits him, and then she goes out, and then she lives for him. That's not what you're called to do. That's what we do when we get religious and we visit church on Sunday morning. We are called to let Christ live through us. To other people we are called to be in his presence and to live 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 let him live through us not just live for him but let him live through us and so that's what Jesus said the spirit will do through us it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me Christ who lives through me and the life I now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me our identities in Jesus we're fully protected when we're in Jesus. We're not perfect. We're protected. We need to be surrendered, not sinless. You get what I'm saying? With the surrender, our sin is wiped away. That doesn't, not saying that you're, you should go out and actively sin, but don't get over, freaked out about it when you do. 1 John, he bluntly says, he says, when we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus the Christ. Confess the sin, give it to God, let him set you free and move forward. Surrendered means that all our sin is surrendered in Jesus and is under his blood. That way the demonic deals with Jesus' work on the cross and not with us in our strength. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. See, with this illustration, suddenly we become the suit. We become the suit, and guess what? On the suit, on the back, is a zipper. And every morning, the deal is, in devotion time, Jesus zips us on and he wears us out into the world. You get what I'm saying? Brock the Jesus suit. That's what we are. Jesus lives through us. Okay. Okay. Christ has not left us alone. He lives in us by the Spirit. And so John 14 talks about this. Uh, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. The Holy Spirit, it says, He will glorify me, verse 14 in John 16. For He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things the Father has has are mine. Therefore, He will take of mine and He will disclose it to you. We can't be condemned any longer for our sins and our weaknesses. This is what Satan does. He condemns. He's looking for a place where you'll believe his condemnation. Because a person who believes it says, yes, I did do that, didn't I? And they sit under the condemnation and they don't do anything. First thing you do when you fail, dear Jesus, this is my sin. I belong to you. It belongs to you. I give it to you, Jesus. And in its place, I accept your forgiveness. And then you can step forward and the enemy cannot condemn you. There is no condemnation. And there are times when I've been under demonic attack in my own life and the attack comes with this piling on of condemnation. I failed. I did something. Uh, I've just failed over and over again. Finally, I've I've taken on all this condemnation. And there have been times I've gone for walks and I've laid a hold of this Romans 8 verses and I say, I don't care. Satan, you listen to me. And by the way, when you're doing this... um, Go find a place where you're not scaring little old ladies, you know? Um, mind you, I know a couple of little old ladies that do this kind of stuff and they scare other people too. So, you know, but go find a place where you're alone, right? And then holler at the top of your lungs if you have to. Satan, the Lord rebukes you. <laughs> I know you're around because I, all I can feel right now is condemnation and that doesn't come from God. So I just want to let you know I'm not taking it, I'm not having it, I refuse this. Jesus. You said, I'm forgiven. I stand uncondemned. I refuse all condemnation in Jesus' name. Send it to where you send it. I stand under the blood of Jesus. And I, I walked a berm back and forth by the CN rail yards, and uh, I've hollered that before just because I need to say that. I need to declare it. Do that stuff. Uh, be determined. Um, God will lead you there. Understanding our enemy, we've got to understand that our enemy is real and that he too is purposeful. And we want to be aware of his intentions. So, okay, you know, we've got to know our enemy a little bit, hey. Eh? Genesis, we already talked about this a little bit. The, the, the purpose of the enemy is, see, if this is Jesus' purpose, everything Jesus did was to bring this relationship with God back and to then empower us to love our neighbors as ourselves, even if we don't agree with them. What Satan did in the garden is he destroyed this relationship. As soon as he destroyed this relationship, they turned on each other. And he destroyed this one too. So Satan's purpose is to destroy Matthew 22, 37 to 40. The relationship with God, the relationship with each other. That's all his purpose is all the time. Jesus' purpose is to restore. Well, um uh, John 10.10 says this, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, says Jesus. So Satan being the thief, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, I'm thinking about this. What's the steal, kill, and destroy? And this passage com- keeps coming back to me out of 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. These three live on, is what it says but the greatest of these is love. Some translations say that when everything else has passed away, these three things remain. And he's talking to believers who have a relationship, a living relationship with God. When everything else has passed away, you might be going through times of persecution where you're losing everything. At the end of the day, when it's all stripped away, these three things are going to remain. Faith, hope, and love. And what does Satan come to do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal our faith so that we can't expect God to do anything anymore. He comes to um, kill our hope because the scripture says hope allows us to look forward and know that whatever the situation is now, there's something good that's still coming. And he comes to destroy our love so that we can't love, so that we become self-centered and grasping. That's what Satan wants to do. And in doing that, he casts us into despair and uh, destruction. So, okay. The instruments of the devil. Deceit. He's the father of lies. John 8, 44. Um, we see him doing this in Genesis 3 as he talks to Eve. Uh, he's a schemer. You know, Ephesians 6 tells us, put on the full armor of God to stand against the schemes. The schemes are always geared to get us back on our own strength. He uses the hardening and the veil. One of the things Satan does is he works at us, oh, just do this little thing, oh, just do this little thing. And he gets people sinning, little sins at first, but it's a slippery slope. They get to be bigger sins and bigger sins. And, oh, you know, God doesn't care about this and, oh, whatever else. Gradually, gradually, I was talking with a young fellow here recently, struggling with pornography. And he stepped deeper and deeper into the pornography. He said, my heart began to get harder. I couldn't get my devotional time with God anymore. Uh, and the more I gave myself to this, the more, the more distance there was between me and God. And so uh, we began to pray a little bit of prayers with him just to simply give his pornography addiction to Jesus. And he's turned the corner and the intimacy with Jesus is now coming back. But that hardening, that's what sin does. Listen to this. Their minds were hardened. Hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. He's talking about those people in the wilderness in the Exodus story uh, who who were determined to worship their own God and go their own way. They refused to trust God. And so their minds were hardened and a veil covered their, their eyes. And so now that even when the scripture was read to them, they couldn't hear it. But to this day, whenever Moses has read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now where the Lord is a Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's another passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. There are times when you, you understand as you talk to people that it's just not clicking. you know. In, those case, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds. So this is a demonic thing. The God of this world has blinded their minds so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In Christ, the veil is taken away. Uh, The previous passage, 2 Cor 3, 14 to 17, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I have sat with people and I have said, does this make sense to you? (laughs) I was sitting with a young fellow here a little while ago. Does this make sense to you? No. You know, I told the story last night about the guy with the spirit of unbelief. Does this make sense to you? No, but please don't give up on me. I'm trying, right? And finally, you say, do you want it to make sense to you? Yeah, I do. Like, I've had people say, I want to believe. I just can't. Oh, well, that's simple. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, pray with me. Words are like a bucket. You pour your heart into them and hand them to God. I'll help you with the words. You've got to mean them, right? Point them to God. Dear Jesus, I just can't believe. I really want to believe. You've got to help me. Jesus, I can't make it on my own cast myself in your mercy, in your name, amen. <laughs> I had this one guy, you know. I just can't believe the resurrection, he says. We prayed that kind of prayer. We finished our prayer. I look up at him and I go, does it make sense? All the lights go on. Yeah, it does make sense. And the Lord broke through that unbelief, that veil, that demonic hardness and set him free and he stepped out into freedom. He shows up periodically at these seminars. Well, there's the Ten Commandments. Guess what? The instrument of the devil is the Ten Commandments. Who here thought the devil had the Ten Commandments? It's what the hammer he waxes with. Whack. You did that wrong again. Whack. You did that wrong again. Whack. You did that wrong again. Whack. Who here has ever looked at themselves naked in a mirror? Okay, not, not a lot of us are being honest here right now. I understand that. <laughs> Do you like what you see? Oh, maybe a little more honesty there. Not everybody likes what they see. You know why? Because when you look at yourself in a mirror, what does a mirror show you? It shows you your flaws. That's what we see is our flaws. You go to the local gym, you know, and the guy who's who are pumping themselves up, <clears throat> and, you know, they're going like, the <clears throat> in the mirror. <clears throat> And really what they're thinking is, yeah, I've got to move this up here and that over there and this out here. All they see is their flaws. That's what the Ten Commandments does. That's what Paul says the Ten Commandments do. In Romans 5.20, it says, The law was sent to make us aware of our sin, that where sin abounded, grace might abound all the more. See, the way the devil uses the law, he doesn't use it that way. He uses it to condemn. He says, look at this. He holds a mirror up in front and he says, You dirtbag, you failed there, 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 and there and he whacks him with the hammer again. You ever try to train a puppy with a hammer? You ever try to tra- train a puppy with a stick? If you train someone that way, train a puppy that way, it'll cower in the corner and it won't come near you until, unless it has to. That's, that's what people do when they use the Ten Commandments to try to please God. Because all you can do with the Ten Commandments is fail them. Do you hear what I'm saying? As the scripture says, the Ten Commandments are the reflection of perfect righteousness. And before them, we must all fail. So, but what does God do? He says, yes, you must all fail. But I have forgiven you. Cast yourself on my mercy and I will lift you up. Knowing that you are a, fa- that you are a failure in keeping the Ten Commandments it doesn't condemn. If there's condemnation, it's the devil doing it. Because that's the way the devil uses the Ten Commandments, to condemn What we are called to do is put ourselves in the hands of God and say, Lord, I can't live it myself. I'm at your mercy. Dear Jesus, help me. I receive your forgiveness. And he lifts us up and he takes us forward. So be careful using the Ten Commandments. The reference there, Romans 7, 11 to 12. um, For sin, take an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But that which is holy, righteous and good became the instrument that the devil uses. Accusation. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ, have come down. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Uh, He's an accuser. Uh, That's what he does. Anyone here know how to make a poodle be quiet? With a shotgun. Right? No, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. I know all the dog lovers out there. My family are dog lovers too. We used to have a neighbor when I was a kid. He had a poodle and it barked incessantly. And and we're sitting there going like, I wonder if they would miss it, you know? Um, (laughs) Poodles do. They're they're like, you know, he used to work with a gas company in Calgary. And so I was always getting bit and chased by dogs and whatever else. And poodles were, they were just yappy all the time, yappy. Can you shut up? No, you can't shut up because that's what poodles do. They're just a bark with hair is what they are. The devil is like that. The devil will always accuse. So don't expect him to not accuse. He will always accuse. What you want to learn to do is say, you know what? The blood of Jesus is between me and you, and that's where I am standing. And his accusations can hit that blood and be washed away. Okay? So he's an accuser. You need to know that. That's his instruments, his tools. Now, how does he work? Well, he uses schemes. So uh, first thing that needs to be said is not everything is demonization. Um, uh, the devil uses schemes. You know, I'm just going to see here. Let's see. Mm, yeah. Nope, we're good. Uh, so, 2 Corinthians uh, 2, 10-11. T- this is an, uh, talking about forgiveness here. One whom you forgive, uh, but one whom you forgive anything, Paul says, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. People. And this is where, if you haven't been to the Forgiveness Seminar, Finding Freedom Through Forgiveness Seminar, you need to come. Uh, um, Susan here shared her testimony. How How many times, Susan, did you have to come to that seminar to get ready to forgive? Several, eh? Three, four times, yeah. I've had people walk into the Forgiveness Seminar, First night, that does it, I'm out of here, and, they're, and they leave. Um, I've had people come the next time around and say, okay, I, I was too ticked off the first time, I'm here to get it all this time, and had a struggle the next time. It's a peeling process. Sometimes we've been hurt so deeply, it takes a long time to forgive, but we have to forgive. We have to forgive. This scripture says, if we don't forgive, the devil will take advantage of us. That's what he schemes. You know what he does? He says... It's not fair what's been done to you. He says, you're right and justified in holding this against the other person. They need to pay. You know what? People need to know what they do. And he schemes to prevent us from forgiving. But if we don't forgive, the devil will get a grip on your life. i got a number of stories. Uh, had a lady sitting with me one day and she was talking about her, uh, how her husband had betrayed her. And uh, we were actually in a coffee shop on the other side of Saskatoon. Um, I'd been doing a little bit of a ministry session there and we were just talking afterwards. And she looks at me and she says, she described the betrayal. She says, don't love him anymore. I said, "Um, okay, well, how about we pray for him? Sure, knock yourself out. So she bows her head, "Hey, we pray. I said, you know, words are like a bucket. Let me help you pray. Are you up for that? Sure, why not? Try it we'll see what happens. Dear Jesus... I invite you into the pain that I have over my husband. She looks up at me. She says, I'm not doing that. And I said, okay. You willing to forgive him? Nope. Are you willing to be made willing? Hmm. You just see the wheels grinding, eh? Well, I'd be willing to be made willing because then I don't have to be willing. Okay, well, let's pray that. You'd be amazing. The little, you know, it says don't give the devil a foothold. God's a better rock climber than the devil right? And he can use smaller footholds than the devil can use. Anyway, let's give God a foothold on this one. Are you willing to be made willing? Sure, because then I don't have to be willing. All right. Pray with me, dear Jesus. That husband of mine, he's a dirt bag and I hate him. And she's looking at me, we can pray this way? We prayed something similar to that, because that's the honesty part. I hate him. and I'm not willing to forgive him, but I'm willing to be made willing in Jesus' name. Amen. And without a word of a lie, she looks up at me and she says, she's got this weird look on her face like, you know, this has just hurt me, isn't it? I might as well just forgive him and be done with it. <laughs> that was the fastest answered prayer I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Let's pray that. <laughs> oh, okay. Dear Jesus, I... And she looks up at me and she says, there's a demon. And I says, yes, there is. Do you want to get rid of it? This was a spirit of unforgiveness, and it had got a hold of her life through her unforgiveness to her husband. Do you want to get rid of it? She said, yeah. It's amazing how when you know you're suddenly demonized, you, you, know, you can get motivated. You know what I mean? Eh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, dear Jesus, pray with me, because we're just going to go back to that surrender to Jesus thing, and we're sticking there until it's done. Dear Jesus, pray with me. Dear Jesus, I confess and renounce. I confess and renounce. I hatred for my husband. And my unforgiveness for him. And she's working hard. Confess. I command you in Jesus' name. Let her speak. Pray with me, dear Jesus. I confess and renounce. Dear Jesus, I confess my. Hate. I command you in Jesus' name, let her her speak. So I'm looking at her and I'm doing this. I just command you, we're in a coffee shop. There's people walking around us. Nobody's noticing nothing. It's like God has put the dome of silence over us and we are, you know, how many of you have watched Get Smart, right? Right. You know, only God's version worked. Anyway. And we're saying, pray with me. We're not moving off this thing of surrender until it's done. Confess and renounce. I confess and renounce my hate for my husband. What's the demon trying to do? It's trying to prevent her letting go of this stronghold. It's trying to prevent her confession and renunciation because it knows in that moment it will lose its grip. I command you in Jesus' name, let her speak. She prays it all the way through. Forgive my husband. And I accept your forgiveness for hating him. You ever realize that? Sometimes when we hate somebody who's really hurt us, we need to ask forgiveness for hating them back. Oftentimes all we think about is having to forgive them. What about our hatred for them? You know Christ died for them too, even though they're dirt bags, right? Right. Hmm. I said, okay, you rest for a minute. I take authority now over this spirit of unforgiveness. I pierce you with the sword of the Holy Spirit. You renounce, you get out of the woman's life. <clears throat> Tears start flowing down her face. Come, Holy Spirit. Wash this woman in your blood, restore her. Amen. She opens her eyes. She's wiping her eyes, wiping her face, and she's free. Wow. The devil used a scheme, and the scheme that he'd used was unforgiveness. And he had bound this woman for years with that unforgiveness. Now, she still had a messed up husband to go back to, she still had a messed up family to go back to, and she still had a really significant journey ahead of her to learn how to walk this out. But something catalytic had happened. So so the devil schemes, you know, always geared to get our focus off of faith in God, to get us back in our own strength, to get you to see yourself or someone else as even God as the enemy. And he might use different approaches but every approach has the same goal, to get us back in our own strength. Course of action. And, and, and so for this section, I put down a bunch of courses of action for you. And, you know, you can read this, compare your situation, and look at the course of action. All the courses of, ac- of action are all centered on surrender to Jesus. Know God's word, consult with other Christians that you know are solid. In other words, if, if, you're, if you're in a divorce situation, don't go and find your angry divorced friends to consult with. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, I had a friend who did that. She started going to the bar, hanging out with a bunch of angry, ticked off, Uh, divorced friends, and all the advice they gave her was, get your stuff and get out. And that relationship could have been restored, but she took the advice from her slightly, how do you put it, tilted friends, (laughs) and she set herself against her husband and got out. So be careful, you know. Pick people who are solid. Reject the temptation, uh, just like Jesus did in the wilderness. Quote the word as Jesus did. Um, and so there's Matthew four where Jesus quoted the word to the devil. This is one of the things I do all the time. It says this condemnation. I'm feeling condemnation. It says that there's no condemnation for me. I'm in Christ. You speak the word out. Uh, the devil will hear you. Well, the second thing the devil does, he uses lies. You know, Jesus, John, uh, Jesus in John eight says. He spoke to a bunch of uh, guys and he said this, you are of the fa- your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. That's one of the reasons why we don't have conversations with the devil. When you're doing the deliverance type thing, you're not sitting there now, talk to me and tell me about yourself. You don't do that. Where did you first enter this person? You don't do that. Shut up, you in Jesus' name. Stand aside. I want to speak to the person. Tell me. When did this start? I'll let the person tell me when this started. We'll pray over that. But you don't have big conversations with the devil because he will lie to you from front to back, beginning to end. Okay? Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay. Direct opposite to Jesus. Well, third tactic that he uses. He uses confusion tactics. Oh, and he's good at this. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Look at your situation. Is there order to your situation, or is there confusion in your situation? I'm in a situation with somebody right now, and I'm going, and it's a very confusing situation. There's lots of emotions, lots of trauma, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going, Lord, how do we get through this? And he says, keep your eyes fixed on me. He gave me a little vision of a rifle scope with crosshairs. And Jesus was right in the middle of the crosshairs. He says, keep your... Keep your focus on me. I will sort this out. And so you learn how to trust Jesus to sort out the situation. You know, God is not a God of confusion. If your situation is, is, uh, if you're fighting confusion, if your situation is marked with confusion, you could be struggling with demonic influences. You know, you'll notice it. Fear of making the wrong choices. It's essentially a lack of trust. You know, people going in circles. Well, what if I do this? Well, what if I do this? Well, if I do this, you know what? You need to trust that God will not abandon you. Uh, you know, here's me. You know, I got my kid, right? And I said, you know, don't, don't, you know, uh, don't. No, let, let me put, a different, put it a different way. I got my kid. I say, come here, come follow me. And I go trucking across, uh, off across the street, right? And my kid, because he's little, he doesn't look both ways. And he comes running out in front of the street and there's a car coming, And I just sort of assume, you know, he would have looked both ways. And I go like, oh. Oh, well, that that child didn't look both ways. Well, I guess I'll have to make another one. Give me a break. I'd be throwing myself bodily in front of the vehicle to get him out of the way. You know what I mean? Like, God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, oh, come follow me, and oh, by the way, you're on your own. Well, You do. And if you step in front of the the devil's truck, oh, I guess I'll have to go make another one. He doesn't do that. He says, what? Oh, shoot. He doesn't know what he's doing. I better help him, you know. Whap, and he stops the truck and he takes his kid with him. The Lord doesn't abandon us to follow him on our own. So, again, fear of making the wrong choice. If you're scared of making the wrong choice, what you do is you put yourself in the hands of Jesus and you make the choice and you step forward and he will protect your choices. That's what he will do. I've done that many times. Dear Jesus, should I do this? Yeah, okay. Okay, Lord, you got a cover for me. And he does. So commit your choices to the Lord, and he will lead you through it. You know, Psalm 37, uh, 4 to 6. Delight yourself in the Lord. That means put your focus on him and seek him first, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as noonday. So... The devil plays on fear and the inability to trust God. And he he will present to you an image of God that has God leaving you on your own. You know, if you want to read some really good stuff, read Genesis 17 to 25. Because God shows Abraham. And you don't want to know the stupid things Abraham did. I have a really good looking wife. And I don't trust the men in this town tell everybody you're my sister, Right? He does this not once, he does it twice. He doesn't trust God to take care of him. Melody, what would you do if Gavin said, you know, like, you're really good looking. Like, tell everybody you're my sister, right? Give me a break, you know? But this is the kind of stuff Abraham did. For crying out loud, didn't trust God. He took it into his hands several times. What does God do? Okay. Now, Abraham, this isn't the way we planned it. We're not doing it this way. So he... I'll I'll fix the the king. I shouldn't say it that way, but I'll deal with the king and we'll deal with some of these other things and we'll move forward. You know, he says, uh, what does God do? He says, you know, you're going to have a child and that child, you're going to be the father of nations. Well, it doesn't happen right away. So what does Abraham do? Um, Take a concubine. Maybe we'll get a child that way. God's going, Abraham, this is not the way it was supposed to go. Now, because you've done this, the child of Hannah uh, or Hagar, he's also going to get a blessing. But you're going to have a child through Sarah, because that's what I've decided to do. We're doing it my way. You see, you follow how God worked with, with Abraham. God swept up after Abraham. God can sweep up after us too. Okay? So, course of action. Pray. Psalm 37 46. Repent of unbelief. Cast yourself in God's mercy. Get Christian counsel, even if it's only somebody who uses a counseling board. I don't mean Christian counselor. That doesn't mean you have to go pay somebody to be a counselor. Find a solid Christian, someone who you see God at work in their their life, and bang some stuff off of them. Maybe a Christian counselor if you have to, but, you know, whatever. Set a timeline for a decision and do it. Take action on your decision. Be deliberate about trusting God. Step forward. Uh, Fourthly, The devil can and will use stressful situations. He will throw a constant stream of stressful situations at you. This is another confusion tactic. Uh, It's to keep you in reactive mode rather than proactive mode. Uh, Several kinds of people are vulnerable here. Performance people are vulnerable here. Because a performance person always has to perform, always has to be doing everything right. And when they've got all kinds of situations come that have to be done perfectly, they get driven nuts after a while. They're always off guard. They're always uh, off balance then. Controllers are vulnerable here because if you're a control freak, the devil can throw all kinds of stuff at you that you can't quite control. And if you're fighting to control this, control this, control this, control this, and you're going to be messed up. Okay? Shame based people. Oh no, I failed again. Uh, just had another thing on my plate. You know, I mean, for crying out loud. So you've got to give your shame to Jesus. Fixers. People who want to fix everything. You know, the devil will throw you at situation after situation after situation that you've got to fix. And you end up off balance all the time. So, <clears throat> you know, anyway. Legalism and self-dependence, living from your own strength, is a key issue for all of these types of people. If you feel you have to fix a situation, he'll keep you occupied, throwing more and more at you, and he will keep you always stressed out. Course of action. On the top of the next page, you need to become active in learning to trust God with the stressful situation. This is what you learn to do. Dear Jesus, this is a highly stressful situation. Here it is. It belongs to you. I'm only going to do what you show me. And you learn that, and it's a process of learning. So you go back to repentance and belief. We're going to talk about what repentance and belief really is shortly. But you repent of the need to control. So if you're a controller, this is the way you've walked. You're going to start to repent. I renounce my need to control. And now I'm walking the way of trust. I'm ready to change. Dear Jesus, where I would have controlled it, now I'm putting it in your hands. I don't know how it's going to work out. Over here, I always thought I could know how it would work out. Over here, now I only know whose hands it's in. And you learn how to walk that kind of a walk. Thank him that he's in control, even before you see the resolution. Pray and be still and know that he is God. People who are learning this walk of trust have to spend lots of time here. Because you'll be so stressed that you won't know what to do with yourself. I drove myself into at least one burnout and started heading for the second one. You've got to spend time here. Because this is where the peace comes from. Okay. Refer to Psalm 23 and Psalm 91, which just says, stay under the wings. He who rests under the wings of the Most High will find himself protected. Um, rest at the table in the presence of your enemies. You know, when you're dealing with demonic things, I don't know that, you know, I, I run into the odd person who gets freaked out. You know, they, they, they're going like, we prayed and there's, it's still out there. Well, of course it's still out there. Even Jesus didn't have an absence of demonic stuff going on around him. But it doesn't come onto you. So you'll still see it. That's what Psalm 91 says. You'll still see it, but it won't come onto you. So... You know, let God be God. Well, recognizing the devil's voice. Um, and these are several elements. It will be a deceitful voice. Remember, he speaks in his own language, John eight forty four. Course of action, check what you hear against biblical truth. Renounce the lie, act on the truth, praise God for his leading and protection. It could be an angelic voice. I mean, it can sound so good, so good. Uh, Remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. You know, there's significant uh, teaching arising nowadays in parts of the Christian church to go back to living the law, the Jewish roots movement and some of that kind of stuff. Uh, And Paul bluntly says, if you go back to that kind of living the law, you step back in under the curse of the law. It sounds so good. Hebrews says the old covenant was flawed, and that's why Jesus came and replaced it with the new covenant. Don't go back to that old way of living the law. We are not under the law anymore since Jesus. Sure, did the roots of the Christian faith come out of the Ju- uh, Judaism? Yes, it did, but God always right back to the beginning of creation. Uh, you know, you read Hebrews 11 says that. Righteousness comes to those who receive it by faith. So, you know, don't go back to living the law. And Satan will oftentimes try to take you back there. He will quote scripture. He's a better theologian than me. um, And he's very very logical and he presents his arguments and he will try to take you back to living by your own strength. Don't do it. He sounds like an angel. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves uh, uh, as servants of righteousness, but their end will be according to their deeds. So check it with Scripture, renounce it. And remember, all the stuff that we've talked about here, um, there should be freedom. This is what we've been called to, is freedom. This is what Christ has set us free for, is freedom. Um, Not condemnation, uh, not living under judgment, because Jesus took all of that on the cross, and so that's a little bit how you uh, test that. You know, uh, in my, uh, in my uh, EPM um, course, we talk a little bit more about some of that. Let's see here, I wonder. Um, in fact, you know what? Let's switch right now over to page 83. Testing the voice of God. When we talk about angelic voices, the angelic voice of the devil, we talk about mistaking the devil's voice for God's voice. When you listen and when you hear, you know, I mean, somebody gives you a prophecy, for instance, you know, and you think maybe God's talking to you, but you're not sure. Here's how to test God's voice. Uh, Five points. And, and this is, a, you know, I start with this passage, 1 Peter 1.10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling. So we're, we're called to confirm what's said to us. Don't just barge off because somebody says God said this. Anybody can say God said this. You know, you barge off, forget it. Don't do that. Um, I remember listening to James Dobson one time, a focus on the family. He said God dragged him into every, every decision he's ever made. You know, and what he learned to do is trust that God wanted to use him. And he just said, God, you've got to show me. You gotta, I'm not doing anything until you show it. Show me that, you know, you've got you to make this clear because I'm a little thick, right? So here you go. I have five points on testing the voice of God. And this would also then, this is where you would fit the devil in there, too. Test any angelic voice you hear. Is what you hear in line with good biblical doctrine? I'm not talking just pulling one passage out of the scriptures and saying, yeah, it's, you know, Biblical, it says everybody should go and kill babies, you know? Give me a break. I mean, people could pull those kinds of passages out of the Old Testament and say, this is of God. Well, no. Um, Is it in line with good biblical doctrine? 1 Timothy says this, As I urged you on my departure for Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so you might instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. The administration of God means the application of the kingdom in its power. So we want to be careful. We want to learn our doctrine. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Um, Is it in line with good biblical doctrine? I had a young man who came to me one time. Uh, He was demonized. Uh, and um, I said, so tell me, what are you going to do with your life? And he said, I'm going to go uh, train in the military, in the special forces, so that I can kill people that hate Christians. Oh, really? This is your ministry? Yep, going to kill people who hate Christians. And he was talking, speaking specifically of uh, Islamic people, is what he was speaking of. And I'm going like, there's something wrong with that. Nope, no, this is what God told me. I don't think so, but he wouldn't hear it. He just couldn't hear it. So I started praying for him. Dear Jesus, this guy's messed up. This is not biblical. You've got you to get through to him. Day four, we were at a, it was a family camp we were at, and day four, uh, we ended up in a, in a situation with him where he found himself ready to be prayed for, and uh, he was set free from a demon of deception. And it was amazing. We finished the prayer session. Whoa, something left me come Holy Spirit, we turned him loose into the camp. You know, uh, half an hour later, three quarters of an hour later, whatever it was, suddenly I heard, boy, what? And I turned around and here's his father coming at me. What did you do to my kid? I don't know, what did I do to my, your kid? You know, he's different. Really, it's that evident? Yep. Suddenly he didn't have the call to go learn how to kill people who hate Christians anymore. See, Is it in line with good biblical doctrine? That means you need to study. You you can't just listen to guys like me. You need to study your Bible. You can't just read books about the Bible. There's all kinds of books out there. You need to read your Bible. You need to learn the word of God yourself. Um, So do you need a question for you? Do you need to study your Bible more in order to know your doctrine? You might need to consult with someone who does. Who do you know who has good biblical doctrine? How do you find a person? Pray, evaluate, ask. So that means pray for for somebody who is a mentor, look at their life, see the fruit in their life, and then ask them, will you mentor me? Second thing you want to do, does your sense of leading glorify Jesus and lead to trusting him? There's lots of stuff out here nowadays in our society. We've been taught to talk about God. You know what? When I went to university, lots of people talked about God. God this, God that, God the other thing. Let's talk about Jesus. Well, I don't really want to talk about Jesus. Jesus says, we come to God. He, he, John 6, um, um, John, forgive me, 14:6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Does your sense of leading, uh, leading glorify Jesus, lead to trusting him? John 5:39 to 40 says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you might have life. So we got to come to Jesus. we got to point to Jesus. Jesus' claim is that he is that expression of God that will lead us into truth and into life. So it has to glorify Jesus. Not generic God. Jesus. okay, Is the leading confirmed through your faith community? That means sit with your friends and pray with them. This is what the Berean Christians did in Acts. Anyway, it says they received the word with great eagerness when it was preached to them, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Um, About prophecy, 1 Corinthians says, "Let, let people prophesy, but test it. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment on what they say. So a question I have for you, who's your faith community? Are you part of the kind of faith community that will pray for you? You need to be, and then you need to expect confirmation to come through people who will pray for you. I was talking with somebody here last week, and they asked me something, and I said, this is what comes to my mind for you. They came back to me just the other day, and they said, you know what? What you said had two other people say it to me very shortly after that same word. God confirmed it. Okay. Is there confirmation with your own spirit? Um, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit speaks within us. I remember one time I was called to be a pastor out in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And I went out there to look, and they're nice people. And there's lobster for five bucks a pound at the docks. And I'm thinking, maybe I'm called there. Do you know what I mean? Me and my wife are making the move. We're getting ready to go. I give her the glowing report. We're going like, yes, the Maritimes. (laughs) The closer we got to the day where we had to say yes or no, the less peace we had. No peace. But I had a congregation of a hundred and some people out there that were convinced. They voted 100% unanimous to call us out there. They were convinced that God wanted us there. But we had no peace. And at the end of the day, we said no, because it didn't resonate here. And there was no verse in the Bible that says, go to Dartmouth. So, anyway. Does con- well, what if you've already started this journey? You know, look at the fruit that it bears. Does God confirm your sense of leading through the fruit that it bears? Scripture says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Is this walk that you're going through perfecting, confirming, strengthening, and establishing you? Is there good fruit? Well, you know, these are ways to test the word of God that you receive. I need to say that if numbers 1 and 2, and you can circle 1 and 2, if numbers 1 and 2 are not in place, the rest of them, don't listen to them. If 3, 4, and 5 conflict with 1 and 2, 3, 4, and 5 are wrong. Okay? God will not contravene his word um, or good biblical doctrine. He will not contravene the focus on Jesus or his word. So, okay. So, you know, when we talk about the devil's voice being an angelic voice, you want to test that voice. And so that document in the back of this manual is made so that you can test that voice. All right. A couple other things then. uh, It can be a familiar voice. And really what this means is the devil will, he knows your language, and he will speak to you the way you like to be spoken to. Okay? Okay. Course of action, know your Bible again, test the preacher, sit under good teaching, test everything God's word, etc. It can be an accusing voice, we've talked about that already. There's some a- courses of action. It can be a deadly voice. He may suggest you kill yourself. I've got people that come and say, you know what? i got a voice in my head that says, kill me, kill myself. You know what? That's not of you, that's of the devil. Let's be praying over that one right there. And I've seen those voices go away. It can be a harassing voice, constant head noise. We prayed with a guy here recently. And at the end of the prayers, as he put all his thoughts under the blood of Jesus, we, uh, we surrendered all that to Jesus. He sits back in the couch. We finished the prayer, and he just sat there, eyes shut, and one tear trickling down his face. And I said, there was just this sense of quiet. And I said to him, I said, what are you experiencing? He says, my mind is so quiet. The enemy was harassing his mind. So that he didn't have the quiet that he needed to process what he needed to process. There is a course of action there for you. Let's pray. God Almighty, we tell you we love you. We thank you. We thank you for who you are, what you're doing in us. We thank you for the fellowship. We thank you for the food. We thank you. Jesus, you're so amazing. We love you. We ask you to call us because you do call us. We ask you to open our ears and our eyes that we may see and hear and turn to be healed. And Lord, that you would protect us from the evil one because only you can. To that end, we cast ourselves in your mercy and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.